It's another bisexual brunch with Lewis Oakley, Nikki Hodgson and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So then, it's the 10th episode of Bisexual Brunch. I know we had a a bit of a gap, but um, can you believe we've actually done 10 of these, Nikki? Well, yeah, I can on the one hand. I can't remember a time where we never did it, actually. I'm so used to our little community. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, gosh, we're, I feel like we're only at the beginning of things that we can say about bisexuality there. I feel like we're only just getting stuck in, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, we had some great episodes and we're getting some great feedback. Everyone loved the sex episode. They all <laughs> like to know about our, our sex lives, apparently. Um, <laughs> and Lewis was quite coy on that one. When I listened back to it, he was a bit sort of coy. But I think, I think you've got a, quite a fan base, Lewis, who... Want to know more about your, uh, your exploits? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Me? Wow, my God. I mean, you only need to look at the pictures if you Google my name, and I would say, I think Google would disagree that I'm cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure more will come out. You know what I'm really excited for is like one weekend, like actually like listening to them all back and being like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. In the case of that one, of course, um, that was the week that we revealed that we'd uh, become part of the British Archives. So our sex lives are on record, <laughs> which is quite, which is quite scary, really. To be honest. Hopefully, in the future, my great, 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 great grandson might look me up and be like, "What the hell? What the hell was he about?" <laughs> now, Lewis, you've had how many weeks now of? of um, well, obviously, I know you've been a father for quite a long time, a stepdad. But in terms of your own child, as it were, how long have you been a dad now? Maisie is one month and one week old today. Really? God, she that's is. Quite, Already. That's quickly, quickly, isn't it? Oh, um, she's growing, she's changing, she's getting more demanding. It's got a thing now where you just can't put her down. I don't know if I've talked about this before. But basically, it's not just that you can't put her down. She needs your complete and undivided, like, attention. So basically... You have to hold her with both hands. You can't have any, you can't like be texting like she knows. So you have to put your phone down, hold with both hands. You have to be walking around the house because she doesn't like to be stood still and just gently rocking side to side whilst you do it. And if you do that for 10 minutes, she will calm down. Uh, but other than that, nothing. No, nothing is acceptable other than that. It's like, this is a form of terrorism. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm held hostage. What are you, what are you noticing? in terms of her reaction to you and your partner? Does she react to your partner in a different way than she does to you? Well, she's, my partner's got the boobs, so it's like, feed me. And, and like, Laura did say to me, like, I feel like you get more cuddles with her because as soon as she's with me, she's like, where's that boob? Whereas she'll like look over and she'll be like asleep on my chest and stuff. So that's probably one of the only differences. But I mean, at the moment, like, I think everything is still just bright colours to her and they can't see in 3D yet. I think it's just 2D. So as much like for like looking around and noticing things like she does a lot of staring like behind you. And that's probably why people think kids can see ghosts. Like, you know how you hear those ghosts, oh, children can see ghosts. It's not. They're just like, they're just not, they're just staring at the wall. Yeah. No, interesting. And do you think, um, I mean, we've seen her, we saw her last week, of course, and I know you, yeah, well, the whole world's seen her on your uh, on your various feeds, of course. Uh, she's she's everywhere. But um, who do you, who do you actually think she looks like at the moment? Oh, me, hands down. Really? But Laura's quite disappointed. She was like, I thought she'd have got something that was mine. <laughs> and, like I, when I sent the picture to my dad, he was like, Oh my god! Like literally, that that's just you. <laughs> um, like from, I guess I've got distinctive like eyes and stuff. So. Yeah. The strangest thing has been her eyes, though, because literally you'll look at them one moment and you'll be like, oh, they're blue. 
And then you look at them in other moments, you're like, now they're brown and green. And like, literally, you just, they just keep changing color. So we'll see what her eyes, it's like one of those um, like things in the casino, like spinning around, eventually it'll stop and we'll see. Or she might have one, like each a different color. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's great. I mean, I can't believe I say I can't believe it's over. It's over a month since she um, since she since she was born, actually. And uh, where is she tonight? Because we 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 had a guest appearance last week, but she yeah, she's in the bedroom with Laura. So I'm not gonna chance bringing her out because it might start an hour of screaming. Yeah, if yeah. you're good, I might bring her on for the very end. Um, because then if she screams, it's fine. <laughs> good, 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 she's good just stuff. been very demanding. Apparently I woke up at 4am and she was crying and Laura, because I'm back at work now, Laura was like, I'll deal with her in the night because I'm on um, maternity leave. Apparently I woke up at 4 in the morning, she was crying and I was like, let me help. And she's like, no, you've got to sleep. And I was like, no, I want to help. She's like, no, I was like, give me my daughter. <laughs> and then I held her and she was just trying to like, suck on my arm because she wanted a boob and I was like I don't think I'm helping handed her back and went back to sleep <laughs> <laughs> the funniest things happen at 4am <laughs> is, is, is this making you even broodier Nikki I'm extremely broody at the minute actually I never wanted a baby but actually since Lewis has had his I quite fancy one <laughs> I'm glad I haven't put anyone off they are a joy they smell great as well if you could bottle that smell you'd be a billionaire Really? Aww. Really? What you mean? Babies smell incredible. Yeah. You're just there and you're just like, I messaged Laura the other day. I was like, I can't wait to come home and smell her. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> they smell amazing. <laughs> anyway, unless you're listening and, and, want, and thinking you're, you're listening to some uh, sort of parenting show. Actually, it is Bisexual Brunch, although Lewis is going to be appearing very soon on uh, a new comedy panel series called Likely Dads, aren't you? And uh, yeah. yeah, that's sort of quite a breakthrough, really, in a way, when you think about it, because, um, again, bisexual dads don't appear on things like that, not openly anyway. So it's going to be quite interesting to hear you on that. Well, don't you worry. I'm going to go represent us. Um, Good. Good. Obviously, it's a comedy panel. So prepping for that is going to be a lot different to prepping for this. Yeah, I've got to like, write down my one liners and think about what's happened in my parenting life that's actually funny. You're funny. You're all, you're funny anyway. You come up with one-liners every week. Oh, that's great. But I can't leave this down to chance, Ash. I've got to go and blow them away. I need to have lines ready and prepared on little cards. You do. <laughs> you do, Lewis. As someone that's done a lot of radio and been unfunny and funny at various points, you need to practice. Just so you've got them in the bag. Just got, so you've got some in the bag. So other stuff will come yeah. out. But as long as you've got a few down, you'll feel more confident as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So anyway, um, last week we um, put out an appeal, didn't we, to pe for people to get in touch with us to tell us their, you know, silly stories about, I'm serious ones, about what people have said to them when they've revealed their, um, first revealed to somebody that they're, they're bisexual. And we've had a, quite a few um, people uh, getting in touch with us on, on, on Twitter and various other places. So I thought I'd um, read some of them out and you can react along the way. So here we go. This is one from Laurie who got in touch. And she said, to answer your question about responses to coming out as bisexual, uh, she, she's actually compiled a list of them and we'll go through that in a minute. But she says the worst has been gay people saying, you're just gay. And the funniest has been, and the most uncomfortable, as, was when a hetero woman thrusted her chest at me as if to say, I automatically find her hot. Is that something that you feels familiar to you, Nikki? Oh, I've had so many. Oh, you kiss my girlfriend. We give my girlfriend a kiss. She wants to try. I've had that so many times, like a variation of that from both men and women. Yeah, it does. It does sound all too familiar, unfortunately. And also, it's never the people that you fancy that do that. No, absolutely. <laughs> amen. Amen. To that. It's never the hot people that do it. Fine, if you're <laughs> interested. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I don't know. Have you had anybody anybody thrust something in front of you, uh, Lewis, when you've uh, told them about you're bisexual? I think it's different for men. You just it's it is skeptical. Yeah. It's not the um, it's not the sex sexploitation thing. It's just no. the get out of town now. Here's your stuff. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, she compiled this list and. Uh, some of these will be familiar. One was, so you're greedy. Uh, obviously, we know that one is a regular one. Uh, do you prefer men or women? 
I don't trust, I can't, won't, won't date a bisexual. What if you end up with a man or a woman? Are you still bisexual? So that means you'll just come out as gay later, doesn't it? Um, and you're going to marry a man and a woman, and you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, so that's a couple of them. And then and a chap came back and said that his, uh, the most common one that he'd had was, uh, I've had all of these, ha ha, he says, most common I'd say for me is, which do you like more? And I have to say, I've had that as well, several times. They, they, you know, it doesn't matter the fact that you're saying you like all genders or whatever. You, you have to be pigeonholed into one. You have to make a decision, is what they're trying to say. The Go one on. that you read out that really gets me is this whole, do you have a preference thing? Because obviously, yes. we know that some bisexual people do have a preference. Do, yeah. um, I'm on the side of, I don't really have a preference at all. Um, and whatever I find is, it's... Whenever you answer that question and you say, no, I don't really have a preference, the next question is always, well, how many men have you slept with compared to women? As though there's some sort of Columbo that they're going to they're gonna figure it out for you based on who you've slept with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you're defined by who you sleep with, aren't you? You, you know, it's sort of, uh, that's what it's all about for a lot of people. They, they seem to think that it's just, it lives, literally is just about, about sex, which... Um, which is which is weird, you know. But again, I you know I'm biased. I would say uh, I think bisexual people are far more sophisticated than uh, anybody else. You <laughs> 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 just understand the world much better than anyone else. I'm sure it'd be proven at some point in the future. <laughs> um, now, um, a bit, bit of drama we've got tonight. Actually, um, we we we've got Mel Bradley, who we spoke to a few weeks ago from Derry in Northern Ireland who's come back to us actually because we we said we'd have a chat to her at some point about uh, her art she writes she acts she performs but she pushes boundaries and particularly around sexuality and sex and she feels that actually um you know we talk a lot about representation of bisexual people and how important it is and that we don't get much of it and that we should be representing bisexual people equally as you know as as, as other um people are represented etc and i think we'd all agree with that to an extent but she seems to think that actually you know in order to get things off the ground we should push the boundaries a bit more and uh, um, sort of create characters which definitely are heteronormative and go to extremes and explore different kinds of things um, and she's been she's written basically a series of, of, of sort of some of them are monologues some of them are stories which are around the, the deadly sins and um we've got a couple to play out and which i you know when we want to we, we, we can review them and give our reaction before we do um i've been talking to mel again all about her work you're listening to bisexual brunch you've been experimenting now for a while in terms of trying to sort of tell stories uh, from a non-heteronormative sort of perspective which it's quite difficult because we live in this very heteronormative world and even things that you see on TV which are aimed at a gay audience or uh, a gay storylines or queer storylines or bisexual storylines or whatever, they do tend to end up going down the route of heteronormative, don't they? I mean, and even more so now in a way, since we've got the, you know, equality when it comes to things like, um, you know, equal marriage and whatever, you find that... Um, gay relationships that are on TV tend to portray things in a sort of heteronormative way. So, for example, I have a friend of mine who um, plays a, a character on Pulp Will You Come, which is the Welsh uh, soap opera. He plays a gay character in that, and he's got a, a gay relationship. And you know, they, they, it, it's portrayed in a very, a very traditional heteronormative way. In a way, I mean, it's nice. It's very nice to watch and. It's great to see them just getting on with life and it not being a big deal of how they're gay in this little village in Wales and all the rest of it. But, yeah, I don't know about you, but I often feel as though we don't really get the real proper sort of pan, you know, perspective of what our lives are like being sort of uh, from the LGBTQI world. The only thing that's ever done it for me was a, a series from America called... Um, Eastsiders, uh, which is a, 
a, a, a drama done on fairly low budget, but very, very, very good quality, in which it's these two um, uh, having a relationship and it explores everything from threesomes to orgies to absolutely everything and really pushes the boat out. Uh, but also you 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 watch it and you don't you're not hating them you're not thinking all oh, these are these are awful people because they're having all this illicit sex kind of thing but you you actually recognize that they're in a relationship and they they've got feelings but it so happens they're in an open relationship and that's the only one i've seen really that really tackles things in an honest sort of way and um you know even the soap operas today you, you know it's great to see gay characters or bisexual characters not many bisexual characters but you don't get um, you still don't get the things that we deal with. So, for example, gay and bisexual men are still dealing with, up to this day, the issue of HIV. That never gets tackled really anymore in in uh, in, in soap in this country. You know what I mean? So, what I'm saying is, there's lots of there's lots of scope. There's loads of scope. And I gather you've also taken it a bit further because you, you you try and do stuff that's still a little bit you know a little bit bigger. It's t- it's, it's bisexuality and sexuality and Queerness times ten, isn't it? <laughs> I'll stop talking. You tell tell me more. Uh, I, I, well, I, I must have hit the nail on the head, but that's basically what you are, isn't it? You, you you exaggerate a lot of the stuff, don't you? Yeah, for for quite some time now, I've been playing with the idea of how do we make theatre, um, and how do we make theatre from the perspective of how we see the world. Um, like I was, ne- I was never that. I was never the girl that growing up dreamed about the wedding dress and you know the walking down the aisle and had all of that sort of thing it was just, it was never my ne- my life was never going to be in this normative fashion um and I see some so so much theater around me um that's just it's telling the same the same stories in the same way so um I like to write things with the say the uncomfortable stuff um i mean in spoken word a lot of my stuff is very autobiographical so um i i I do talk about some really really raw stuff that doesn't yeah doesn't really get touched upon in polite conversation but this um the show that i'm working on at the moment um explores themes of promiscuity that uh, the threesome, the the sex, the the no straight man comes out at all in a good way. Um, it it takes the it takes the stories and and where you think they're going in one direction and then just kind of twists and turns them on their head. It's it's interesting that you're doing this because. It's rare, isn't it? Even in even in the queer world, there's not many people doing this to this to this extent. It's not really, and it feels to me that what I was saying before about the whole the whole thing of you know everything becoming acceptable. You know, people having having gay marriage and blah blah blah, all this kind of thing, and you know, it's sort of uh, and the, the people can have children and adopt children, and you know, and all this kind of. Um, it's sort of we we made it boring again, haven't we? Really, when actually there was a period when. Being queer was quite exciting. We were radical. Um, yeah, when, when you look back at, like, um, you know, in the 80s, our beha- the, the, the behaviour was radical. And I suppose whenever you see young people coming up now, like the play that I did in, in August, um, the Proud to Be play, we, we kind of look at that sort of idea of, you know, older gay man looking back at his life and thinking, you know, we were radical. Back then when we were out, we thought we were... We were going against the green, and now looking at young people coming up, and they've got all these labels, and they've got all these kind of new attachments and new groups, and categorising themselves, um, and it's all very—it's all language that we didn't have twenty, thirty years ago when we were breaking the rules, um, and and I think that's that we've got to constantly move forward. And we've got to constantly push the boundaries of what we're what we're doing in terms of theatre. And I like to I like to challenge the viewpoint of what is okay and acceptable for a woman to say and do and wear on stage. The like guy, I'm a curvy woman. I am not the aesthetic type or the like the media deemed aesthetic type of what an attractive woman should be. But 
I own my body and I'm very confident because it's, it's just it's just my body and I and I am I own that attractiveness and I own that sexuality and I own my presence on stage and I have no problem prancing around in my underwear at all. Also with women there's also this thing that I mean you do get if, you know there are, people do the push the boundaries on certain things now um but it's rare. You, you've still got the heteronormative thing of the impression of a, of a woman, the impression of a man. The impression of a man generally is that, you know, in terms of you know, dramas and things, you know, they're, they're, the men are the baddies to an extent. They'll always commit the crimes and all the rest of it. And yeah. I mean, I know that's the, true in society as a whole. There are more men who go to prison and all that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. there are equally lots of nasty women out there as well, actually. Um, and you know, women who will do things, quite extreme things. And and I gather you explore that a little bit as well in your drama. I do, yes. So we, so it's The Seven Deadly Sins and um, The Sin of Gluttony, which is the second piece that I wrote of the collection. Um, the whole collection took me three years to write and, um, and it was a very long research project. Um, and trying to find the different stories that would, what would deem you bad enough to go to hell. But Gluttony is completely irre irredeemable because she's a cannibalistic serial killer. And I like the idea of exploring not just the serial killer. I mean, it was, it was kind of, when I started out writing for Gluttony, I didn't want to make it fat shame and I didn't want to make it the obvious kind of oh like she you know like somebody who gorges themselves on food and and looking at sort of the old definitions and you know looking back at historical documentation on what was deemed gluttonous behavior and um and then and I have one of I'm a fan of the anti-hero and Hannibal Lecter is probably one of my favourite characters in literature next to Lucifer in Paradise Lost. But yeah, uh, and so I thought, what if we made her a cannibal? And what if we made her a serial killer? And what if we make her have like multiple lovers and she doesn't care about gender? All she's really interested in is how beautiful the person is, like whatever sparks in her that she picks up on and then devouring her, like that sort of total devouring of a lover, being from like the sexual devouring to then the actual um, culinary devouring. Well, um, well, you're teasing us, you're teasing us. And uh, <laughs> I think we should hear something from Gluttony, an extract from Gluttony. Are you uh, ready to perform Gluttony for us? Absolutely. Go for it. Just to say to anybody who's listening, you know, this is make-believe, it's fiction, it's not re a real story, um, but there may be subject matter that some people find uncomfortable. So if you feel as though it's going to be uncomfortable, please just refrain from listening at the moment. But here we go. Here's um, Mel bringing to life Gluttony. Let's see now. There was Andy and Jamie and Jimmy and Mark or Agnes and Carol, oh, and that gorgeous young dyke. Ah, uh, yes, I remember now. Her name was something like Jude. Had the appearance of a real wildcat. Turned out straight-laced, awful prude. There was Sarah, Lena, a transvestite named Jinx. Oh, now that was a story. <laughs> the slight old minx. A handsome young barista, I never did get his name. Oh, and that girl with the hair and the ice cream. What a deliciously wicked game. So many lovers, to name but a few. Now, sadly, oh, dearly departed. Well, what's a girl like me to do? I simply can't control myself. Believe me, I have tried. But there's this deep-seated wickedness I keep hidden inside. It's a murderous calling I've tried hard to ignore. I even went vegetarian for Lent one year. Oh, Lord, what a chore. My carnivorous appetite is whetted by an amply proportioned breast. On the tantalizing exposure of a well-shaped thigh is sure to get me undressed. Of course, I'll squeal with pleasure. The thrill of seeing terror strike my lover's eyes. 
And like my culinary hero, dear sweet Dr. Lecter, I beg the tastiest of pies. I found a delightful recipe once for the most succulent stew. Calls for a perfect six-pack goes great with brown eye fondue. Now I'm the first to admit that my nature is somewhat cannibalistic. We'll try not to judge this girl in haste, for if we were to be realistic, I am sure that none of you are all that chaste. And yes, it's true, I ferociously devour the most beautiful of strangers, relishing the consummation of all their power. So if you find yourself all alone, on an evening, afternoon, or morn, be cautious of this vixen's charming ways. Avoid this rose in her deadliest of thorns. Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> Gluttony is um, is truly pushing the boundaries, and um, she is quite uh, shocking. What reaction have you had in the past to Gluttony? So last year I did this in Bangor for Open House Festival, and it was a sold-out show. Um, and the reactions to Gluttony were really incredible. Um, she's such a fun character, and and this time I'm like. I've been playing a lot more with the voices and with the character and playing them up a bit more and she's a little bit more apple pie um, which we decided to kind of make her to lull lull you into her sweetness and that that might be the nicest way or, or the best way to portray her is this really sweet kind of character that's very deadly underneath but yeah she's she's had some yeah she's had she's had really good Really good feedback, and of course she, you know, she is blatantly you know, bisexual, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, from the, from the outset, <laughs> do you think though? Often the complaint that's put forward about bisexual characters, when there are bisexual characters, and as you are well aware, there aren't many, but then often the complaint is actually that they either make them straight or gay very quickly, or you, you get characters that are purely, you know, pretty nasty and pretty evil and. All the rest of it. Why do you think that is? Why do I mean? I know your project is, is slightly different, but why do you think there's a tendency when it comes to having bisexual characters in drama and comedy and whatever to make them odd and nasty and different and obscure and just not connecting with anybody? What do you think the reason is for that? Why why do writers steer away from actually portraying them? like anybody else I, I think because they're outside of the norm you know whenever you don't f- function in that way that is um choosing one side we we kind of have this idea or there's there's very much this idea that you have to be you have to take one side or another so like the the way that female characters that have been written for a long time um women women who sort of deviated outside of the the household structure and i guess the same with men who deviate outside of that manly that that very masculine structure so when you when you when you move in a way that is not a definite side i can't pin you down to one thing or another so you're 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 fluid in between i don't know how to you don't operate within the rules so I guess that gives it's that per, that perceived perversion of normality, um, and I think that's why I think that's why we get we get such a such a bad a bad rep because people think we're weird just generally, don't they? That's the thing. If you've got if you're bisexual and you you know you like men and women and you oh you might possibly have you know threesomes with men and women. I mean you you just you must be weird in every other aspect in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think, I think there's, I think there's this idea too that, like, you know, in this same way that gay men used to get like quite a lot of quite a lot of disrespect because they were there was very much that, you know, outwardly very sexual, um, out for a good time, you know, the pickups and, uh, and that 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 kind of culture was had to be sanitized and the hedonistic culture, yeah, yeah. So dark rooms and, uh, and 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 cruising in in parks and uh, and and on on, uh, you know, on beaches and all those kind of things. 
Yeah, and I think that's because they had to. They, you know, like when, when you're on the fringes of society, and I think now that um, you know we've dealt with the, we've dealt with gay men, we've we've accepted gay men. We, I mean, I think lesbian women are still a bit kind of in the. I think we still have a lot of boundaries to push in terms of you know the lesbian voice, um, in in terms of media, um, and what we do with it. Uh, and getting women to come forward but I think the bisexual part is that is has been such a stigma for a long time and I think we are now starting to really flower and come out and speak about this more and say hey hang on a second here you've been erasing us for years and we're kind of tired of the erasure that's been going on and we want to have a voice because there's a lot of us um there's more than you probably think Indeed, just on the gay side of things, obviously I'm bisexual, but I had to work and move in gay circles for a while, especially, you know, because you know, that's how it is, and I end up in a gay relationship. But, you know, like you said earlier on, it was it was much more exciting <laughs> in the past, in a way. You know, you know, there were some, I wouldn't say, you know, um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, basically over my 20s, I took a few risks here and there, did a few things, you know, meet a few guys on the beach or you know, in a park or whatever, you know, I think a lot of gay men and bisexual men have done that, but, and I'm sure it still happens today, but it does feel as though the gay, gay men to an extent, and I, I think gay men are in a way more part of various establishments than other aspects of the LGBT world. They've absorbed themselves into that a bit more than, or been drawn into that a bit more than, than, than bisexual people, than lesbians, than, than trans people. I do feel as though it has got a bit boring. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I'm not, obviously, I'm sure things are still happening and I'm sure there's great, you know, people having some exciting lives and all the rest of it. But from a, just, just on the surface, it feels as though we've sort of given in, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah, I think we've had to sanitise ourselves for a long time in order to be accepted or palatable, in order to see ourselves on the screen, in order to see ourselves in the stories, in order to see ourselves in the mainstream. And it's such a shame, um, isn't it? Because when we were talking, you know, just now about the soaps and dramas and how they make everybody, you know, a lot of bisexual people evil or different or, you know, a bit obscure, a bit, you know, sort of, they become the nasty ones or, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they, they can't be, you've demonstrated that just now, but it seems that that's the tendency to do that. But actually, bisexual lives generally anyway are unique and interesting and nuanced and different and varied. So to either go down that route or just to make somebody suddenly gay or straight or whatever very quickly is so disappointing because they're missing a trick, aren't they? Writers and people are missing a trick when it comes to exploring the whole pantheon of what bisexuality means. I mean, I, I, I think that... I think it's a very difficult one to kind of where do you go because there is a formula that everybody is comfortable with um in terms of storytelling there's a formula that you know you get into your romance and there's an assumption that if you're if you're a woman and you're bisexual and you're with a man then oh you must be straight and i think i think it would be amazing to have to see a conversation around the well no actually that's he, this heterosexual male has now just entered into a very queer relationship because that's the lens that I view the world. And the same with like, you know, um, with two, maybe two men coming together and it, and it not being the assumption of being, um, oh, so now you're, you're gay. That, that old thing of buy now, gay later. Um, or that you just haven't, it's a stepping stone thing. Um, yeah, I'd really like to see that dispensed with, and I'd like to see us be okay with sexual promiscuity. Um, that's you know, as long as it's safe, sane, and consensual, why should we not enjoy sex? I also think we've become a bit prudish, more prudish in recent years as well. To be honest, because I think there was a period TV and film did start to explore those things in a way, but we seem to have become a bit more conservative now, and it's sort of. Um, you know, it's it's weird how the world's gone. Really, we, we you know, I, I think we were much more liberal twenty twenty five years ago than we are than we are now. But anyway, getting back to your your work, and you've got the you've, you've created these characters, and um, Gluttony was one of them. 
and you've got another one you, you want to perform for us. Tell us a bit about Raph. Um, this is, uh, so it's two friends and they've been friends for years and they, they meet a, um, a young man gets tangled up and falls in love and um, he, yeah, he's, he's kind of the cheating, he becomes the cheating husband. And just a reminder, of course, that Raph uh, includes some sexually explicit terms. And if you're not prepared for that, please refrain from listening and uh, that's all. Two sisters born, not of the familial ties of blood, but in bonds formed through friendship and desire, cross paths with an indecorous Casanova on his conquest to build the ultimate sexual empire. Young Bob, a serial philanderer, found his heart had momentarily been tamed, swept up in a whirlwind with the eldest sister. All too soon, a wedding date was named. A lavish affair the couple embarked upon. He fancifully indulged her every whim. The wedding party, honeymoon in Vegas, bow ties, table linen, even the processional hymn. Into the realms of wedded bliss, Bob secures a series of promotions so they can afford the lifestyle, house and car, felicity, now the epitome of wifely devotion. Whilst she perfects her recipe for souffle, Bob's meetings stretch later into the evening. Late night preparations for cinching deals, uneaten home-cooked meals leave felicity seething. In direct correlation with Bob's promotions, the youthful appearances of his many secretaries, a swift turnover of female employees, the company narrowly avoiding sexually charged legalities. Our now lonely corporate widow Felicity happily reconnects with her old friend and sister. The two embark upon a voyage of rediscovery and sexual reawakening devoid of her dubious mister. One Tuesday evening, as had become the norm, Felicity and Veronica engaged in a playful card game, strip poker now their favourite platform, for dining in knickers without a single shred of shame. This particular evening, Bob arrived home early, hoping for his wife's delectable cuisine. Finding the two in a compromising position, his appetite shifted to quite the libertine. Frozen in the hallway, watching the scene unfold, relishing the thrills of his voyeurism, fascinated by the grace of their physical explorations, longing to participate in such open hedonism. His eagerness got the better of him. Leaning too heavily against the dining room door, Bob miscalculated his weight distribution, tumbling headfirst towards the hard wooden floor. Shocked reactions expressed all around. The ladies, blushing, grappled for their smalls. Bob tried to appear as the offended husband, spouting all manner of marriage protocols. Veronica, rising to her sister's defence, challenged Bob's apparent moral high ground. In truth, she and Felicity never would have fucked had he actually been around. Of course, to the most casual of observers, Veronica's motives weren't entirely virtuous. A long-time lover of women and her friend, some might well call her more an opportunist. Civility descended once again upon the household. Felicity prepared a large pot of tea. Bob raised the issue of reparation, eager to set terms upon which they all would agree. A golden opportunity, it would appear, had offered itself to the sisters rather willingly. A diabolical plan began to form as their eyes met across the china, calculated and chillingly, for they knew of Bob's roving eyes and hands that often lustfully wandered, Felicity's love, their marriage, and any shred of trust he had willfully squandered. Our vengeance sisters planned to off dear Bob in a voracious coke-fueled sex session. Soaked in vast quantities of gin, he would pay critically for his deviant indiscretions. And so the trio made their way to the bedroom, where Bob fancied himself as quite the czar. They drank and dished out the drugs, pinching himself. He thanked his lucky star. No longer the lithe, fit young man he used to be, Bob's physical strength had definitely diminished. The sisters made sure he was inebriated and exhausted. One more push and he'd be finished. Veronica suggested some oral explorations. She decided to take one for the team. Felicity straddled herself across Bob's face. This the final part of their dastardly scheme. 
Bob had often fantasised about this threesome and what could be the night of his life. He was only partially correct in that it would be the last as sentenced by his beautiful wife. Veronica, diligent in her ministrations, could feel La Petite more drawing nearer. Felicity bore down as his body stiffened, consequences for choosing not to fear her. How beautiful, his final thought, as dear Bob's life was extinguished in a somewhat sticky end, despite having proven his skills in cunnilingus. The gossamer line betwixt love and hate, where passion itself does supremely reign, reckless seduction and careless cavalier traits tip the balance from romance to deadly disdain. Hell, it said, hath no fury like a woman scorned, as you can see from this tale of retribution, be cautious in matters of the heart, lest you find yourself like Bob, condemned to wrathful execution. So you're right, the men don't come out particularly uh, <laughs> particularly well, do they? No. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a theme in all of this, there's a theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mel Bradley, and if you'd uh, like to keep up to date with what Mel is up to, uh, you can go to houseofmel.com, that's the website, or Mel can also be contacted via Instagram at the underscore House of Mel, and Mel is also available uh, via Facebook and on Twitter under the same handle, House of Mel. Well, after the break, we're finding out what Lewis and Nikki made of gluttony and wrath. Listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. I've had mental health problems, I think, for most of my life. Suicide is sadly something which affects people from all backgrounds. My friends didn't quite understand why I was being the way I was being, so support was was pretty much non-existent. A brand new podcast brought to you by the Zero Suicide Alliance. I'm Professor Alice Roberts and this is Life Matters. Few people understand that you just actually just need to just sit and listen to what the person's saying. We do know that there are some people who tend to be more at risk than others. In our feature on the latest initiatives from around the world, we find out how three schoolgirls from Brazil have developed a suicide prevention app aimed at Generation Z. If something bad happened to me today, I'll go there and add a drop of water. We're with the team at Hollyoaks to hear how they've been showing how soap can inspire life-saving conversations among men at risk of suicide. I just feel absolutely nothing at all. Nothing, just dead. This way you get to see Darren's journey behind the scenes. He's really struggling and he doesn't know how to reach out. He doesn't know how to get help. You know, it's always been this taboo subject. Join me, Professor Alice Roberts, for the very first edition of Life Matters. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. And visit ZeroSuicideAlliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. From the creators of Bisexual Brunch. Dale... How the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Zavia and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong. Masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen by searching for the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or visit distinctnostalgia.com. we got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. <laughs> Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease. And pretty soon thousands, maybe millions, will die the same way.
Hello and welcome to The Likely Dads, a new series that looks at parenting from the paternal perspective. I'm always wary of people who plan kids. If your life's that structured, stay away from me, we're not going to get on. <laughs> a brand new show from the team behind Bisexual Brunch. I'm Tim Vincent and each week I'll be joined by my fellow Likely Dads, Mick Ferry and Russell Kane, as well as a series of special guests to discuss different aspects of fatherhood. When a man has an urge to have a, a child, it's not spoken about much, women sort of own this area. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be like the old films I watched where I'd just have a pipe and I'd be in a study. You just go, you're going to see your father now for 10 minutes. <laughs> Hello, children, what have you been up to today? I'm not interested. All right, off to bed. <laughs> An MIM production for BBC Radio 4. We hope you'll join us and subscribe to The Likely Dads on BBC Sounds. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So, there you are. Would you like to meet Gluttony <laughs> on a dark night? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really know what to say. Very hypersexualized. Um, I'm not that into performance art, to be honest. That's, that's just me. Um, yeah, it was, but it was interesting. She's definitely trying to push the boundaries out. What, what do you make of it, Nikki? Yeah, I thought it was quite cool because I like the idea of a woman in particular just laying out the names of all the lovers because that's something that as women you're never allowed to do. You know, this, you know that question that people always ask each other about how many people have you been to bed with? And as a woman, you're always taught to diminish it. It's the idea that you might actually have a roll call in your head of everybody. I think it's quite empowering, actually. I think it's quite cool. I mean, I'd what... love to be able to remember all the names. <laughs> that's quite a skill, right? Yeah. <laughs> What, what's interesting, of course, is that I, I know there have been portrayals of, of women who, you know, um, in evil um, sort of characters. I mean, I remember, remember that TV series called The Life and Loves of a She-Devil or whatever it was? Yeah, 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 um, I do remember that. Yeah, so there have been that, there's been those kind of, you know, characters and of course witches and all that kind of thing. But generally, I suppose women are portrayed as meek and mild, aren't they, and overall, when you think about it. Um, I mean, obviously, there's strong women in programmes like Coronation Street and what that kind of thing. But as a whole, and I suppose what Mel's trying to do is just trying to turn it all on its head, isn't she, in, in that sense? Yeah, well, we know that we find it really difficult to identify female criminals, especially if they do particularly so-called evil things against other people. That's really hard for juries to decide on. And that's to do with a mass perception of women just not being able to do certain things. And I think sex is one of those things, actually, that... You know, for years, people have just been written off with the word whore if they're particularly sexual, but there's no real interrogation about their appetites. And I think that's what's quite interesting about what Mel's trying to do is turn that on its head a bit and just explore, oh, there could just be a rote call of these people, you know, and I've just got through them. And so what? <laughs> I like it. Obviously, you know, there's an entertainment aspect to it as well, because it's, it's, quite, it's quite funny and extreme. And, and um, uh, Mel was telling me that, you know, um, at times... Um, when um, Mel's been doing performances in in reality, with you know, in, in not in lockdown, the situation where you can have proper theatre and all the rest of it, the audience's gasps that they they think they know what's coming, and they're as in it's going to be a, something really horror, horrible, and it's even worse. <laughs> she said, you know, she says that you know that to see that is uh, is quite interesting. So uh, Mel is out to shock, and I think she she. Um, certainly achieves it with gluttony. Okay, let's turn to Wrath. Uh, a, gri a grisly end for, for, for Bob there. And um, I think we can safely say, actually, if you listen to all of these, that um, heterosexual men, or men generally, actually, but mainly heterosexual men, don't come out particularly well in, in, in any of Mel, Mel's, um, Mel's stories. Um, what do you make of that then, uh, Nikki? Because uh, we are, you know, what that, I suppose, was doing was was really pushing out the whole thing that women have sex and they enjoy it and they get together and have fun. And actually, we don't really... Yeah, there's titillation about it for men and all the rest of it. But we, you know, I don't think I've ever... I mean, I mean I'm sure there is lesbian porn out there and bisexual female porn that exists in some way, shape or form. But she was really expressing it to the extreme there. I mean, what did you make of that? It's interesting because it reminded me a bit of my femdom days. It was a bit dominatrix. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, and, and it reminded me a little bit of the girls that I used to work with who were very wicked in many ways, like very creative sexually and very interesting because they weren't restrained in that arena by societal norms of what you could do as a woman. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I listen to that, that just that resonates for me. But, and I suppose the other issue is that women, only women tend to read about women being sexually deviant. Men, men watch it for pleasure, but women tend to read it, I think, because they're kind of intrigued by it. I think back when I've written a book, and there's loads of people that have written books, you know, in line with things that women shouldn't do in bed or with other people. So I think there is a, there's a huge canon there, actually, of literature, maybe that you haven't come across, Ash, but yeah, lots of people are talking about it a lot of the time, actually. It's just, it's just kind of slightly hidden. Yeah, no, interesting. I mean, I mentioned there just a little bit, because I've always been intrigued by the whole thing of pornography. I'm sure we'll do stuff on porn properly at some point, but the whole thing about pornography and women and women's interest in pornography. I mean, we know there is an interest, but... How much of it actually exists? I mean, how can you, is it easy to find, you know, stuff around bisexual women in particular? No, not that it's been made for people that are bi or for women, actually. You know, it's all to do with the male gaze, isn't it? The majority of mainstream porn anyway. Of course, there are some beautifully curated film houses that make gorgeous content that really is subversive because it's just not traditional in any way. But those people are few and far between. And so, yeah, the majority of porn that's consumed, you know, it's like less than 1%, isn't it? It's absolutely tiny. So if you're a woman, a bisexual woman or a lesbian, and you're into pornography, um, I know we, we're often told that well, women can't be into pornography. It's just not mm. no. And we both know, because we've done programmes on it together, haven't we? That that's not true. But where, where do women go? Where would women go to find um, some, some pornography that they might want to indulge in? Well, there are some quite good ethical guides to porn. Definitely Cosmo runs an article every year that's the best porn sites for women, which is always the latest. You know, there's new people coming up up and coming all the time. So um, there are some particular people. I'm thinking of someone called Pandora Blake, who makes great con- content for women, who I think you know, Ash. Um, and yeah. then some of the porn stars themselves, the mainstream porn stars in America that then do their own camming and their own and kind of run their own website have really good outposts. So Joanna Angel is really good. She has like alternative, uh, kind of like, it's kind of like quite alternative, like Rocky porn. That's probably the best way of putting it. Um, and then there's a really brilliant, brilliant Spanish producer called, Erica Lust, that's what she's called, Erica Lust. She makes the most beautiful, artful, thoughtful, erotic content for women. I absolutely love her. So there are people doing it. Interesting. Well, I think we should explore it much more in the future. But have you learned a few things there, uh, Lewis? Yeah, I had no idea. There are all these different porn sites. Um, <laughs> you didn't have a baby and then and a partner and, and no alone time. <laughs> I might have found a new hobby. <laughs> the, 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 the performance that we heard uh, from Mel doing rap, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, do you think that men deserve their comeuppance? We, des- we need to have more of those kind of things where straight men are, uh, you know, are given their just desserts for certain things. What do you make of that? I, I don't. It's not about being a hater. It's about just like different experiences. And, you know, some people do think it's all I don't know as well I want to celebrate people I don't want to go after a certain demographic of people I'm just all about love guys <laughs> and straight men have always been very good to me they've been better than straight women and gay men they've been nothing but trouble straight men are fine I have to I have to, I have to agree with you uh Lewis absolutely I've found you know I've found so many straight men over the years who've been really supportive and very sensitive actually well, I think it's because, you know, with gay men and with straight women, and obviously bisexuals there as well, there is the, the, the possibility of, of, of a romance there. Whereas with straight men, it's just completely off the table. So um, I don't know. I've always found straight men, you know, yeah, they're a bit over-fascinated and like, what does this mean? But, you know, ultimately, they feel like they've got a layer of protection. Like you're not after, I think it's maybe like women and straight women and gay men kind of have that understanding maybe bisexuals and bisexual men and and straight men kind of have have that i don't know 
Do I mean, you... I'm not singing their praises over the top either. I'm just saying I, I don't want to like murder them. <laughs> well, in, in terms of, in, in, terms, know. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the art form perspective, um, what do you think, Nikki? Is it is it good to see men sort of after all the repression and all the issues over many many years um, being the sort of uh, the victim? Oh, yeah. I mean, how many examples do you have in the Bible of women, Jezebel and, oh, I can't even go into it. There's so many, there's so many women in the Bible that reach a terrible, terrible end because of their sexual behavior or even not from doing anything at all. Greek mythology full of people that get raped all the time and it's always the women, you know. So I quite like to see it the other way around because there's, a, you know, there's thousands of years of stories telling it one way. So we need a little bit of reversal. So you think, uh, you think Mel's onto something here, yeah? Oh, yeah, there's a, like I said, there's a whole canon of literature and there's a whole canon of people that like reading that stuff. So I'm sure that Mel has a fan base. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So, Nikki, tell us about these apes then and the, the latest research. What, what's that all about? Okay, so it's been discovered that female bonobos, specifically female bonobos, have bisexual sex with other females as well as the males. But when they have the sex with the females, they spend a long time looking into their eyes and it's to do with bonding so that they don't end up fighting over the men. <laughs> the men? The, so they don't end up fighting over the males. So I think it's really fascinating that we know that there's a kind of, we know that definitely if you go out as a woman and women are competing for male attention they'll often kind of circle each other and pretend to be friends when they're not really being friends and be a bit catty and you know they've got all these tactics of kind of sussing out who's where on the pecking order who's where in the pecking order but the bonobos go one stage further and decide to just have sex to use it as a kind of tool but they also they're particularly interesting because they're one of the only mammals that we know that have sex for pleasure i think dolphins is another one isn't it and obviously humans and they're definitely bisexual well apparently because they also have relationships with the males in the group so they must be right that makes sense uh, i believe it the only thing that's a bit annoying ash about this study is that it's a it's a very small study so it's only been of 17 bonobos but then i suppose if you think about them in ca captivity you've only got a small number to work with so maybe that is quite a good proportion <laughs> i don't know i'm not i'm not at all any kind of scientist so yeah what do you make of this then, uh, Lewis? Obviously, bisexuality exists across the, the animal kingdom. Um, I mean, yeah, as much as... I think it's interesting, and I, it's always good when you see stuff in nature as well, because then no one can really be like, it's a phase, it's, it's political correctness gone mad. It's like, well, animals don't understand political correctness gone mad, so how do you explain this then? It's interesting. And also just the idea that they're doing it for pleasure is quite interesting as well, and that it's a form of bonding, because, I mean, I kind of always, in the young years, saw sex as, a, as, as just bonding. It, like, I think it's a very maybe monosexual thing, or maybe it's a very straight thing to see sex as really meaning something really deep, and, and you only do this after a marriage and stuff like that. I know people are like that now, but like, for me, it was just like, oh, we get on, we're having fun, we're gonna have sex too. You know, it's bonding. Um, so, <laughs> but maybe that's enough about me. Well, I, I, wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if that, again, we, we discussed this a little bit a few weeks ago, but there's more to discuss on sex in the future, I'm sure. I wonder if that is something which, is, which, which bisexual people are more, com are more comfortable with. I mean, we, we, we had a conversation, Nikki, in one of the interviews with one of the scientists, I think if I remember rightly, who uh, hinted at, at bisexual people being more adventurous and more interested in sex in a way. And I wonder if that, I wonder if that is true. I wonder if we're just more, we are more comfortable with it. And it's, you know, we, we see it as a way of, as Lewis says, of, you know, of bonding. Maybe we are more in touch with the animal kingdom as well as everything else. Well, what's interesting about bonobos is that apparently 75% or more of them are bisexual of any, of all genders. Well, presumably there's only two, uh, male and female bonobos are bisexual, more than 75% of them. So that's why they're also interesting. And they share 98% of their genetics with humans. So that's why we keep doing research on them. So basically they are a really good model for things that are feasible or possible to do amongst humans. But obviously they have, you know, their own culture and their own, own setup, don't they? So, but yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So that's why they're particularly interesting to people that research sex. But coming back to your point, Ash, about bisexual people being more kind of open or seeing sex as maybe just not 
that big a deal perhaps because obviously you know if you're bisexual and you've always been slightly outside of the norm and you've never been your relationship has never been held up as the font of all good things that spring in society which is basically what heterosexual couplings are held up as aren't they and they always have been for centuries then i think you just learn to have a kind of more relaxed and different approach to sex because you either can be super uptight about it and really embarrassed really ashamed or you can just kind of explore and you know enjoy yourself so i think more bisexuals tend towards the latter of that and that's probably why they do bond and i think more people i mean i I've definitely had sex with people that were just my friends and then they just stayed my friends and they were never going to be anything else anyway of, of all genders. And I think that's more common amongst bisexual people. Maybe it is. And we're seeing ourselves through those straights in their eyes. And to them, it's hypersexualized. But to us, they're exactly. the unsexualized. And they're the uncivilized. They're like the not sexual people. Totally. And they're uncivilized because they just have such a reaction to sex. Oh yeah, no, oh, they slept with that person, the world's ended, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Get over it, right into Dear Deirdre, quick. <laughs> yeah, or take a leaf out of the Bonobos books. I know. Okay, well that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. My Domino's arrived halfway through this, and I am literally dying to go and eat it, so it's been fun, but i got to go. <laughs> you go and have your Domino's. <laughs> This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.